Welcome to So You Think That Was Good, Do You? A podcast where we take a look back at the films from your childhood and question the absurdity of their universes. My name is Evan and I'm joined by Sam and Carl. Boys, how are you bloody doing? I'm good, mate. Once I regain my hearing, <laughs> I'll be great. I'll add in a tinnitus sound there. <laughs> add in the kind of flashbang noise of Call of Duty <laughs> with a slight kind of high-pitched whistle after your intros. Why do these boys never know how they're doing? My brain is absolute mush. And I'm also doing good, mate. Good. Good. <laughs> Well, uh, this week, starting off our new season of watching sequels, uh, films we've already watched that are identical to the original movie, we're beginning with Stuart Little 2 from 2002. For some reason, I knew the year that this movie came out without Googling it. I don't think I've ever seen it, but I did know it, and now you know that too. And let's get started with the plot synop, as we always do. Then put your little hand in mine There ain't no hill or mountain we can't climb Babe I got you, babe I got you, babe Okay, campers, rise and shine And don't forget your booties, cause it's cold out there! We're taking a look back at Groundhog Day 1993 and here comes the plot's a knob. A cynical TV weatherman finds himself reliving the same day over and over again when he goes on location to the small town of Punxsutawney to film a report about their annual Groundhog Day. His predicament drives him to distraction until he sees a way of turning the situation to his advantage. Boys, I've been very excited for this movie. Yeah, yeah, me too. I mean, speaking about that plot up, I feel like that only takes us to, as is so often the case, about halfway through the film. Because it's very much not about him taking advantage of the situation. At least not in the way that that implies. But yeah, no, this this is kind of like a, a timeless film. Like, I haven't seen this in years, and yet, when I watched it today, it just, every part of it felt so familiar. <laughs> I don't know if you two felt the same. Well, I have watched it twice before this, once for fun. It's weird, no movie I don't think has ever had such an impact, I don't want to say on the zeitgeist, but maybe language, because how the like the, the term Groundhog Day has embedded itself into language is crazy, to the to point where while I'm watching the movie, they keep mentioning Groundhog Day, and I'm like, oh, this, of course they called this movie this, because that's the term <laughs> we use for when the you feel like you have deja vu, but no, it's because of this fucking movie that it's called that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was reading about this earlier, the fact that Groundhog Day obviously has a long history. Apparently it originated in Germany and it was called like Badger Day. Oh, fuck and then it's somehow fuck No, off. genuinely. Yeah. I mean, obviously it was the German equivalent of Badger Day. They they did ba- they don't have groundhogs there. So it was badgers originally. But yeah, it somehow got co-opted by North America and made its way over there. Uh, but prior to this film coming out, it was a really small event. It was like a couple thousand people at most would go there. It was kind of unknown. And now it's obviously it's a massive worldwide thing. It's, I can't remember the numbers. It's something like 50,000 people every year go to watch this thing, this little rat come out and <laughs> someone say whether it's going to stay winter. I'm confused about the badger element. What does the badger come out of? Because they're a fair a bit set. larger than a groundhog. What, you carry a set around? 
<laughs> Three men carry a, an entire set to the stage and then somehow lure a badger out. Okay, look, I don't know. I'm not an expert on this. I just read it on Wikipedia. I read three lines of Wikipedia. <laughs> I'm that much more educated on the matter than you are. You, f- you find a badger dead at the side of the road, as all badgers are. And you, you ask it if winter is there. Have you ever seen a living badger? I've never seen a living, living badger. I, no, I, I, I don't haven't. think I have. And I don't imagine the people at the Badger Day events have either. They've seen a man with his hand up a badger's ass, opening his mouth <laughs> with his hand. <laughs> oh, winter to come! Whatever badgers sound like. What sound do badgers make? If cows go moo, what do, what do badgers go? Squish, I think it is. Splat. <laughs> you are right about how it's taken over the zeitgeist, though. To the point where now when I Google it and it doesn't come up with something about the movie, I was pissed off. I don't care about yeah. the day. What, the actual Groundhog mm-hmm. Day? Yeah, that is annoying. I, I also think because it, it's silly. Well, obviously, it must be nice to go and like be a part of that, I suppose. But we don't really have things like that here. Uh, that would annoy people if there was a day where, even if it was a badger, that's like, they're, they're closing the roads and stuff and you can't get out and about. We must have shit like that. We're England. We have, like, maypoles and people dancing around with symbols on their ankles. We must have something. I think we, we spent about 100 million on some, like, King Charles's, what do they call it? His coronation. Where they put his crown on. Coronation, his coronation. Yeah. Uh, and I've just remembered the cheese rolling day in Gloucester where everybody <laughs> brings a wheel of cheese and rolls them down the hill to see which one goes down the fastest. So, yeah. Squishing badges as they go down, yeah. <laughs> To be fair, with the injuries that do occur in that, you probably could do enough damage to yourself that you think every day is the same day from then on. (laughs) (laughs) You know, like in 50 first dates where they just have to replicate the day. There is one guy in Gloucester where they just have to roll a cheese down a hill every day for him. Like that fucking pineapple. They have to bring a badger out on a lead onto the course every day. (laughs) Dead, of course, because there are no living badgers. (laughs) Squish! (laughs) Ah, the badger's mating call! Well, yeah, I mean, not just in terms of Groundhog Day fame, but this, I think, was at least one of the first time loop movies. And I think it's still kind of unique. Maybe not unique, but rare, in the sense that you don't know, even at the end of the film, why any of it happened. And films that have kind of been derivative of this... I feel like they close the story out a little bit better. They, yeah. they want to explain things. This film is not keen to explain anything. No, it's more whimsical if it doesn't. And even if it's not how he gets out of it, because that's like, I suppose, heavily implied. It's because he becomes a good person. That's how that's how Scrooge ended as well. He kind of gets a little bit better and he gets out. Uh, questionable. Yeah. <laughs> but we never find out why he's, how it triggers in the first place. What, yeah. Why is the reason he is in this time loop to begin with? And so maybe we start there and, and talk about why we think that a completely unremarkable man like Phil Connors would be in a time loop like this. Well, um, in the original script, or one of the many, many original scripts, they did give you an answer in that there was a girlfriend when he was back in whatever town he's in who puts a voodoo curse on him, an ex-girlfriend. Oh, that is a shit reason. And they just decided, yeah, that's fucking shite. So that just got removed. And then you're just left with questions. Like you say, um, Edge of Tomorrow, we know there's a very definitive way to end the loop. Mm -hmm. Um, 
Palm Springs. They tell you what caused it, Magic Cave, and yeah. tell you how to fix it, blow up Magic Cave. Yeah. <laughs> Whereas, yeah, this one, they never give you anything, and then it just leaves the internet to theorize for years yeah. and years. There's a lot of theories. So many theories. I think the most famous one is, was it Ned, Ned Ryerson is the devil? Oh, Stephen Dablowski. Ryan- I mean, Ned Ryerson. Yeah, Steve- so Stephen Dablowski plays this character, Ned, Ned Ryerson, and... He's such a fantastic character. So good. That he, like, even if you haven't seen this film for 10 years, the thing that will stick in your mind is Ned Ryerson. And yet he's only in, like, three scenes for the whole, maybe four for the whole thing. But he makes such an impact that it feels like he's got to be significant. And he's so weird. Yeah, he's such a big character, not in terms of movie time, but in, he isn't a straight man. Everyone else in this is a normal person, but he is a guy shouting down the street, acting super weird to this guy he was in school with and acting super strange in a movie that doesn't really require it. Fantastic. But I love that theory about him being the devil. I haven't watched the movie. I don't know if there is massive evidence of it other than... So the first time you see him, he is silly, he is big. But then the second time on the first day that the day repeats for Phil, it does come across as a lot more sinister, like when he sees him. Maybe that's because of the way Phil is reacting, because he's panicking that this is the same day again. But I'm sure that Stephen does Stephen, like I fucking know him. (laughs) Mr. Tobloski plays into that. (laughs) Well, it's the third time that kind of caught my attention. Mm. So the first two times he's... Yeah, he's doing his sales pitch and yeah. kind of reacting a little bit to what Phil's doing. But then the third time, Phil just straight up pushes him away. He doesn't say a word, pushes him away and kind of runs away from him. And Ned's response to that is to keep doing his spiel, his sales pitch and run after him. It's like, that's a weird reaction. And okay, you know, it's a funny kind of thing. But I don't know, that stood out to me as like, this guy's either just genuinely insane which is very possible. Yeah. <laughs> or he's somehow got in on it, you know? Well, later on in the movie, we once he realises in a time loop he can do what he wants, we see what he does with Nancy Taylor, where he just asks her about herself and yeah. then goes to see her the next day and just then projects himself into her past life. We went to school together. Don't you remember we sat together in class? And that's basically what Ned does. He isn't remembered, but he's like, yeah, we went to school together. I dated your sister. And Phil doesn't actually remember yeah. him. He says, yeah, yeah totally. Ned Ryerson. I wrote the exact thing down that, like, his way of flirting with Nancy is, it's a Ned special. Boys, that is the perfect segue into a theory, uh, another theory about Ned I'd read about and built on from that exact scene. So this other theory is that Ned was actually the previous victim of this time loop and his interactions <laughs> with Phil were to pass the curse of that time loop onto him and when that started to make more sense to me was during that scene with Nancy because Phil acted so much like Ned like shouting his name in the exact same way and doing the the big bing motions and everything it seemed like (laughs) he was trying to pass the curse onto her as well well yeah I can believe that uh, he really forces that handshake on him like that could be the moment of just there you go curse is yours now he tells us that now he's the sort of guy who just grasps life by the horns they call me Ned the Bull now which is pretty much what Phil ends up doing because that's what you would do if every day is the same or if at one point every day was the same you then would live every day to the fullest afterwards yeah and what it made sense to me as well is this is early on all of this happening in Phil's own being trapped in this time loop and Ned is a guy he hates like he is the complete opposite personality type to Phil so there is no reason that he would 
acts like Ned in front of a woman the film is trying to imply he's trying to sleep with and, and does later. But the reason I think that he does act like Ned is because he's semi-aware that the, it's kind of been passed on from Ned to him and he's trying to do it to Nancy. I think that's kind of where this theory kind of ends. Yeah, I mean, the only other aspect, as I said, he doesn't get Ned doesn't get many scenes. So the only other thing that I could kind of grasp onto is that uh, getting towards the end of the film, the final loop that Phil's stuck in yeah. ends. Okay, a lot of things happen that day, but one of the things is he finally buys insurance from Ned. All of buys them. the whole package, yeah. everything. He finally purchases a single premium life. That's the name of the the contract he signs, premium and then he life finally package, gets yeah. his life back. There are definitely aspects to it. There's definitely bits to it where you can see where this theory comes from. Yeah, I think Definitely. it's even a little naive to say that the writers weren't aware of this. I think if you're writing a movie like this, you'd be tempted to sneak in little characters like this that would add to the the world building of it, regardless of whether or not you want to actually fully imply that he is the cause of it. Yeah, there, there are bits where maybe you could go, ah, that sort of doesn't fit in, like when Phil already knows who he is on day two. If he was a guy who was just not actually from his past life, that would have been surprising that he knew him, maybe. But yeah, the things like the fact that if you take his name, it is an anagram of Redo Sinner. And that is, that's too much of a coincidence, Ned right? Ryerson. That's good, yeah. Trying to do that in my brain right now. I can't switch the letters around like Lord Voldemort does, but I will assume you're right. <laughs> if you're right, then that's that's very good. But yeah, I think, I think Ned's a good candidate for, uh, you know, if we're theorising as to what is causing this. Well, if we're sticking on this then, boys, I'd love to get into another couple of theories I've got about who else may be the cause of this. Because as I was watching, I was just making some fun little notes. To call these theories is an insult to any kind of science. Are these theories (laughs) of your own? Yes. Because I I think it would be fair to point out that the one we just discussed was someone else's from Reddit. Yeah. And you'll realise these aren't someone else's because these are all dumb. Well, this one (laughs) is. I think this one is probably actually the best theory there might be because... It could be Rita that's causing this because oh, we might be on a similar page here, Evan. <laughs> let's let's do this together. At the beginning of the movie, she spends like basically the whole time prodding Phil in different ways to get different reactions out of him, almost as to like to gauge the different ways in which he's a bad person. And then he spends a, a large chunk of the movie trying to fuck her. And basically gets slapped a thousand times. But he's able to fuck everybody else. He saves scum so much that he can do anything else he wants in this town. He can rob a bank. He can fuck the old waitress at the diner. He makes his way through that cafe. He can do everything (laughs) and anyone. But Rita is the only one to ever deny him what he wants. Until the very end of the movie when he has... The movie wants you to believe he's changed fully. I don't know whether or not I believe that. But once Rita is happy that he is a better person... Finally, she sleeps with him and the curse is over. I'm not saying that sleeping with him and the curse are linked in any way, but rather that Rita finally lets him out of it. There's, I mean, yeah, I, so I've got a couple... They're, they're little things that aren't really substantial enough on their own to mention, but since we're talking about Rita... First of all, so in part of this film, Phil gets quite depressed and starts just trying to break the loop just by killing himself. And he kills himself <laughs> over and over and over again. And in a few of these... We see some kind of time pass after his death. Yeah. yeah. And the loop doesn't, at least from our perspective, reset, usually until Rita sees that he's dead. There's a point where he, 
you know, gets into the bathtub and drops a toaster to kill himself. And then we see her identifying his body. So he's already died. She sees that he's dead. And the loop begins again. Yeah. And the way she reacts to his death is not, this is a man I've known for two hours of my life. There is there is a genuine sadness at the morgue. And when he goes over the quarry, just the way she says his name is someone she has known for, well, years, it would feel Lifetimes. like. Lifetimes. Yeah. <laughs> and then, this is so nitpicky, it's insubstantial. <laughs> but about halfway through the film, there's a scene where she is in the van, the TV van, reviewing the footage from his newscast that morning. First of all, it's weird that he keeps doing those. Like, if you <laughs> yes. were, It's like you wake up every day and you have zero consequences and you choose to go to work. But, but that aside, the footage that she is reviewing is the exact frame-for-frame frame footage from the first loop. <laughs> it's identical. I like that. Which means... Either he's done an exact enhance. <laughs> yeah, Sam has <laughs> he's done, done his an exact research. Perfect impression of his own first loop. He's doing it the same to the note every single time. Or I don't know. She's in on it. This is a Truman Show type thing. I don't know what to infer from that. Like she's going back and checking his progress in the news reports to see whether or not he takes that job seriously, which he obviously doesn't <laughs> exactly. in the first hundred of those. Well, I mean, after the very first one. She does say, well, do you want to do it again with less sarcasm this time? And maybe it was just waiting for him to stop being sarcastic. It took 30 years. Do it again years. with less sarcasm. <laughs> <laughs> but no, no, I think I sort of lean towards the Rita thing as well. It did feel like for a person who's living the same day again, she seems to go through quite a lot of character change or growth towards him. Like she must have known him for more than a few hours. But I think he's dead. What, you think this is like a purgatory thing? Punxsutawney purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> right. Oh, uh, because God. I know so you, much wordplay. And I've known you for a long time, Carl. I know you made the link between Punxsutawney and purgatory first and moved your way back to the theory from there. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's the first thing I wrote, and then I started the movie again. <laughs> well, I, I genuinely do think he's dead. And this whole thing is just the trials that his soul needs to go through before he's worthy of moving on, finally becoming a... I think he either died in that blizzard where he wasn't sure if he wanted to try and go through it anyway, or he died in that freezing cold shower when he started slipping about. And now he's just being made to repeat this day over and over again, the day he hates more than anything in order to grow as a person. But I feel like she is some way connected to that journey. Because when they arrive, he says... Someday, someone's going to see me on TV interviewing a ground dog and groundhog and think I don't have a future. And he doesn't. <laughs> so it's just this, it's like the best way to make him change the person is to put him through this thing that he hates more than anything. And to see the beauty in it and the, this place he hates more than anything. And, he's, and the place seems to change as he changes, like it becomes his own personal heaven. Well, that's true, yeah. He, and he grows to love it more as he's there. Just as a quick side note, how fucking typical is that? You go through 30 years of the same day to change everything about who you are as a person, and then you fucking dead anyway. You fucking dead anyway. <laughs> if this film had ended with her going, well done, you figured it out. Oh, by the way, you are dead. <laughs> that was all for nothing. Welcome to hell! <laughs> and then she flips a sign and it doesn't say punks attorney, it says helks attorney. <laughs> <laughs> but if Ned is the devil, 
maybe she represents the other way his soul could go. Because when we're first introduced to her, she's on that green screen, and all she is is a floating head flapping her arms like wings. Oh, that's true, because her jacket is the same colour as the green screen. Mm. That's very good. It's, it is good. And there are like there are other aspects of the film. The more you think about it, you've got things like there are the two ex-Navy guys who are kind of, I mean, maybe I'm digging. Are they gluttony and sloth? Well, I think what supports that is that Phil says something about what would you do if every day was the same and nothing's going anywhere and there were no consequences and stuff. And they say, yeah, we're already in that place. In the context of the movie that you're supposed to see, I suppose they're saying that it's just a small town and they're never getting out. But if you're looking at that through the lens of this theory, they're also literally in the same hell as Phil. They are. There's also the, there's, there's, a, there's an old homeless man who, it takes him a while, but during the later part of the film, he tries to save this guy. He takes pity on him, tries to save him, and he can't. And it's a big part of his kind of character development is that acceptance of death and the inevitable. Oh, this is getting a lot deeper than I thought it would, boys. Oh, yeah. Oh, I've got more, if you want it. Please. Please. All right, so he then, after realising he can't get with her no matter what, as we were talking about earlier, decide, well, he has his depressive phase, and then he has, yeah, that redemption phase of focusing on himself, and goes, learns the piano, reads all those books, and when we finally return to him and he's ice sculpting, that's when she reappears, and what he is ice sculpting is an angel, and it's an angel without a face, and then at the end of this movie, he (gasps) carves a face, her face, into some ice. Oh, that's, awesome. that's good. This theory's got legs. It Put does. this on Reddit. <laughs> I'm sorry for laughing whilst you were explaining that, Carl. That's only because you referred to it as his depressive phase, when he literally killed himself a thousand times in a row, which seems like a bit of an understatement. <laughs> he was a bit depressed. No, that's great stuff. Yeah. yeah and I like that. I've got one more bit. Did you boys see what was on the wall in the diner? No, I didn't. There are a bunch of stopped clocks. And... Yeah. As they're sat talking to each other, at one point the camera is at an angle where it's looking at them both and between them is a stopped clock stopped at five to six. Okay. 555? Yeah. Is one number off 666? No. As in... Well, three numbers. <laughs> but that's five to the time he starts from again every day. Oh. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And then that distance between them, when it finally closes and they kiss at the end, a bell rings, it snows, something changes, like that little gap between them was what we needed to be closed before time could move forward again. Oh. Theory. <laughs> Very there symbolic. Is an actual essay that could be written from everything you've just said. <laughs> this, film, this film is 20, no, wait, 31 years old now. Fuck off. And I'm convinced <laughs> that the director is going to be listening to this going, finally, someone got it. <laughs> From heaven. <laughs> is he dead? Is Harold Ramey not dead? <laughs> I think he's dead. I don't know. I've got no idea. Oh, that is beautiful, Cole. I don't want to talk now. All my theories are silly. <laughs> I was so brilliant. That was very good. How would you um, follow that? I'm going to throw in a bit of a shit theory, but one which I like anyway. So in his final loop, it begins with him doing the TV segment, the weather segment, and he's giving a bit of a speech. And he talks about Chekhov's long winter and does all these quotes and poetry. And it's just to show how clever and sophisticated he is. The writer has spoken about this. I think this was adapted off a book originally. Yeah. Mm. It's a book called Replay from 1954. 
Yeah, so in the original book, he doesn't actually, there isn't actually a direct quotation from Chekhov. It's just kind of referenced from another character. And it's just thrown in there to make him sound sophisticated. However, there is a film theory called Chekhov's Gun. Yes. Which is this idea that if something is included in the film or in a, you know, in a scene, in a play or whatever, it has to have a purpose. Which leads me into saying there is one particular character who we get a lot of cutaways to, which is the barman, Mm. who silently never has a word, but we get a lot of cutaways, his reactions, his opinions, kind of an onlooker (laughs) to Phil's character development throughout. And, you know, we've spoken before about, albeit, you know, slightly racist caricatures of and tropes from the 90s, from this time period, the kind of ethnic minorities all have magical powers type thing. Black people are angels was a big thing in the 90s, so I could see it. Yeah, so this barman, who's the only black character in the film, who silently watches on with this kind of pious look. Yeah, he, he, he looks back, kind of shakes his head like he's seen Phil pull this line so many times. Over and over again. Yeah. He's always got this knowing look to him. I mean, it's always cutaways, so there's no evidence to back this up, but... Do you reckon he just filmed it once and they just kept cutting it in over and over again? I genuinely did go back and check. They should have just stuck him in in random (laughs) scenes. Just Phil gives his great speech on camera, shows everyone clapping, and then just cut to him. (laughs) Cut to him doing his little smirk and head shake. Go back to cleaning that glass. (laughs) I mean, it's not so much a theory, it's just a a feeling that he's kind of above it all. No, yeah, I can see that. this is... His machination. It's possible if this is some sort of purgatory that there's more than one angelic figure watching over things. Just yeah. anyone in the background yeah. working a little job. God, I hope Ned isn't a fucking angel. <laughs> I don't want to believe in God if he's an angel. <laughs> Ding! <laughs> if those two guys are sloth and gluttony, Ned is pride. <laughs> I haven't, we haven't heard Evans theory yet. So this is kind of building off what you guys were saying before about how the day continues mm. even though Phil has died. I can't remember if you've mentioned something like this, Sam, but almost as if different timelines are being created each time Phil dies, or any time Phil lives a day, each one of those is a different timeline. And I thought, what if Phil is being forced to repeat this day because he's actually being used to seed a new timeline each day he lives. And he's being used as some sort of spawning machine by a cosmic force to create more universes. Because something's happened somewhere. Oh yeah, this one's out there. Something's happened somewhere. (laughs) A black hole is too big. And so a cosmic being has popped over to Earth, picked the most unremarkable guy ever. Because let's, let's be fair, like Phil doing anything on these days, whether or not he lives or whether or not he dies, whoever he helps... It doesn't matter. They're all going to turn out mostly the same, spawn out most of the similar timelines. He's a fairly unremarkable person, unless the, the kid he saves from the falling tree in some of those timelines somehow uses his walking ability to save the universe at some point. It's all going to fucking turn out the same. <laughs> and that kid? Hitler. <laughs> I thought you were going to say an angel. <laughs> but no, yeah. <laughs> and that's the length to which that theory goes. <laughs> <laughs> no other evidence. I love it. I love the idea. No, we're past the point of evidence now. I love the... I mean, there's a few people that he helps in the final loop, but there's the kid who falls out of the tree, we don't know what fate he would have been met with if Phil hadn't saved him. Maybe he would have 
just had a bruise, maybe he would have broken a leg, maybe he would have broken his back. We don't know. He would have turned his spine to chalk, mate. That was a tall <laughs> He would have been tree. a badger on the side of the road. <laughs> Squish. Squish. Oh, it's badger season. <laughs> I see a shadow. <laughs> and then there's also a character who I've forgotten the name of, but he's the guy who holds the groundhog up at the start, who chokes on a oh. stake yes, at the, the end. Who he's Buster. not the mayor, but he's the, the groundhog. that's it. Look after her. Yes, yeah. And he, um, I mean, <laughs> he was fully choking. Nobody else was helping him. <laughs> so uh, that's two lives that he potentially saved yeah. in the final loop. So if we're talking about what was his goal? Was it saving Buster's life? Is Buster God? <laughs> God, instead of saving himself from choking on a piece of steak, <laughs> put the state of the time-space continuum at risk <laughs> to have a man, maybe, some of the time, save him from choking on steak. <laughs> and in doing so, created 20,000 timelines where God is dead. God is a 65-year-old woman who just didn't want to get a flat tire and force this man yeah. to live for 30 years in the same day just to get someone to jack up his car and switch that tire out. And as we posited, this movie is filled with angels and not one of them helped him. The random <laughs> bad dude had to help him. I mean, they're the angels who were assigned to look after purgatory, so not the good angels. <laughs> the okay angels. Yeah. Do you know what I find interesting about how many theories, there are three new theories now for this movie, is that, do you know who doesn't ever have a theory about why they're stuck? Is Phil. Never once questions, why is this happening to me? That's a very good point. Yeah. He gets, he gets kind of frustrated, oh, but yeah, he doesn't yeah. seem to try and figure it out. He just goes along with it. I think that's probably because he would have tried to become good a lot sooner if he knew, actually, that's a fucking lie because that's also the plot of Scrooge and he waited until the end of the movie and that as well to try and be good. <laughs> and he didn't even really do a good job then, so ignore what I just said. <laughs> yeah, no, it's odd. He just kind of stumbles into it. Yeah. And in doing so, considers himself a god. I mean, it could be. It could be as simple as this is a punishment from God for him saying, I control the weather. It's as simple as that. Yeah. No, you don't. <laughs> I think you'll find I do. A blizzard. <laughs> God is having a really bad day. He starts to walk away and thinks, no, that's not good enough. Time-space continuum. Because <laughs> <laughs> um, well, one of the original scripts had a voiceover. Where... Oh, no. Uh, and Not from yeah. God. No, no, from Phil. <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> <laughs> Can't afford God. Just Morgan Freeman, just piping in every now and again. I do think it would be an interesting addition, just to know what he was thinking about this, because we know how he feels about it, but we never know what he's, why he thinks he's stuck in there. I, th I think that voiceover where, as he like, is becoming more detached from reality as he's stuck, and in a way invents us as someone to keep him company on his journey and talks to us, would be a, an interesting way to find out what he's thinking. It would. I do think they do a fairly good job of... Obviously, he goes through different stages in this with his depression and his redemption and all of this shit. <laughs> oh, it's more than depression, He killed himself Sam. a thousand times. His different arcs. And <laughs> it takes a bit of catching up sometimes when you're like, oh, what's this wacky guy off to do now? Oh, oh, he's taking a toaster to the bathtub. Right. He's sad, is he? I, I got it. I got it. <laughs> Isn't this he's a not PG? the most emotive actor. <laughs> Have you boys got any more theories you want to get into? Oh, I wish I did, but... 
I, I spaffed my load no. early, mate. Sorry. Then I have some quick fire theories for you, if you like. Uh, I say they're quick. Some of them are I've written some words for, but they're they're not very in depth, and there is no evidence. So don't put these to any sort of trial. <laughs> the first one's pretty dumb, but let's go for it. So this first one. It's the B&B owner. I can't remember her name. <laughs> but uh, for yeah. anyone who hasn't seen this movie, Phil refuses to stay at this shitty hotel and he stays at this B&B instead. And every interaction he has with her, she's not the brightest bulb. Like It's supposed to show that he is kind of like this city boy who who expects certain luxuries that just aren't afforded in this B&B in a nowhere town. And I think the reason she has caused this time loop is because she's doing the world's best market research. As it's clear, she she isn't that smart or up to date with what her customers want. Uh, she doesn't know what an espresso is when Phil asks for one. Uh, and when Phil asks if she's ever had deja vu, she says she doesn't know, but she can check the kitchen. So that's kind of the woman she is. <laughs> Great and line. I think... She has put Phil in this time loop because she's collecting feedback from him and all the other customers who are <laughs> trapped in the time loop on this day to figure out what she could do to bring in more customers. To be the fair, ultimate trip advisor. the B&B is called the Hotel California. Fuck off. <laughs> no, it's not. No. <laughs> <laughs> okay, following that, I have that it is actually Larry, who is the yeah. camera guy. Who people would recognise from other things. He is the small hand man from Scary Movie 2. Yeah, is he? he is, yeah. He is. Take my strong hand. Is uh, he? And he's also in my the head. In that's Schitt's David Creek. Cross. No, I, I mix the two characters up, but no, they are two separate characters in Scary Movie. And David Cross is in the wheelchair in that movie? Yes, yeah, he's in the yeah. wheelchair. <laughs> that's all one character in my head. He's <laughs> in a wheelchair with a small hand. That's my memory of that film. <laughs> God's really putting him through his own thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so at the beginning of the movie, whilst they're on their way to the festival, Phil says that this will be his last time going there. Like, he's got bigger dreams, he's going to move to another station. And Larry says he doesn't know what's wrong with the Groundhog Day Festival. Uh, So I thought, could it be that Larry is trying to show him that the festival is actually sick? (laughs) So he makes him repeat the day over and over again, until the end of the movie, where Phil decides he's moving to Punxsutawney, so it must have succeeded, so he gets out of the time loop. I mean, if anyone replays time over and over again, it's a man recording video, right? There we go. Exactly. I mean, there's also the fact that, yeah, Larry, what I said before, what earlier about Rita, Larry's also there, confirming that he's dead both times that we that we see him die. Um, and contrary to how Rita reacts, Larry could not give a shit. No, it's he is very funny. So unfazed by his seemingly long-term colleague dying in a ball of flames that you got to wonder if there's something else going on there. Yeah, he's not the nicest to Larry, to be fair. But even without that, Larry has got like a seediness about him. I don't know if that's just an inflection of the actor, because whenever that guy is in something... I don't know if you boys have seen Shit's Creek. Like one episode. He's the mayor in that. And even though he's kind of supposed to be a jovial kind of character, you only ever get creep vibes from him. So I think it's just an unfortunate effect the actor has. So it might just be that. Moving on to my next theory, boys. I think that the day might not be repeating at all. So let's go all the way Truman back show. to the beginning of the movie. The first day before it all repeats. They've just finished the, the news broadcast. They're driving back the blizzard hits. They can't go anywhere. So they head back into town. And Phil goes into a local gas station and phones the operator to be asked to, to put on that celebrity emergency hotline and gets no help. 
As he's doing that, a man walks past, plonks him on the head with a snow shovel. And Phil dies. I posit that Phil just has a concussion so bad that he perceives every second as a repetition rather than him actually repeating the day. So he just got 50 first dates. Yes. Wait. Nice. No, she wakes up every day thinking it's the same day. Phil is just living one day, but is perceiving every second multiple times in the same second thinking he's doing different things. Okay, he's a fucking time lord, is he? He will be dead by the end of the day because of the concussion. This next one is... <laughs> How many did you come up with? Garbage. Many. Many. I'm a quantity of a quality kind of guy. So this one is... It was actually Michael Keaton. <laughs> After regretting his decision to allow himself to die at the end of Jack Frost, he bends time and space to have Phil build a snowman every day, hoping it will bring him back from the dead. <laughs> Unfortunately, Phil never gives it a dick, so it never works. And eventually, Michael Keaton gives up. <laughs> Okay, I've got two more. <laughs> Next one. Can you take the day off work? <laughs> no, I've lived this day over and over again. I've had plenty of time. So this one is, it's the groundhog, which is kind of obvious. So the groundhog is actually the one stuck in the time loop. And luckily, he also has the specific power of including anyone else named Phil in the time loop. He might be caught in. He traps human Phil in the time loop, hoping that human Phil driving them both into the quarry will end the time loop, but it does not. We never find out how Groundhog Phil gets out of the time loop. We must assume that many Phils have died. I've got to assume that with that one, because Phil the Groundhog gets taken out of his little box every morning and checks to see his shadow, maybe that final loop where Phil the human gives his big pretentious speech... Maybe it's so distracting that they just don't take the groundhog out and leave him in there. And he's like, I don't see any shadows, I guess. Or the speech is so long, the sun has moved so far in the sky, when Phil comes out, shadows too far to the right for him to see. Absolutely. Time loop over, baby. That's, yeah. Final theory, and the one I put the most time into that I think could actually be genuine, so bear with me. It's the alarm clock. It just really loves that fucking song. (laughs) I can see you worked hard on that one. Thank you. That's great. Okay, that's me done. Thank you for bearing with me. Wonderful theories. Thank you. All of them equally true, I think. Absolutely. I think it's everything at once. All of the (laughs) theories that all of us have done. And every background character in this thinks they're the one that's causing the loop. Yeah, they all think they're the main character. (laughs) Rita's there really confidently starting the loop again, (laughs) thinking it's her, when actually it's the groundhog stuck in his little plinth. (laughs) But actually it's the barman cleaning his glass waiting for that loop to start. What if that wraps us up then, boys? That wraps us up. I think we're going to be heading into the question for this. And Carl, why don't I start with you? Because you love Groundhog Day, don't you, buddy? Carl! So you think that was good, do you? Uh, I feel like you've really put me in a box with that one. You love it, don't you? (laughs) You can say what you like. Oh, just, it really, I know it did it first, but it really feels like it's been done. Haven't we just seen this story so many times now? Just time loop movies you know you send one you send them all and i think i'm just done with them i don't want to see another <laughs> that's fair that's fair that's fair hard to blame it on the film but i 
I guess, yeah. But yeah, I mean, I I enjoyed I see where you're coming from. Coming up with some theories, although it did make watching this a fucking slog as I sat there writing my little essay as if I was handing it in. <laughs> How about you, Sam? Yeah, no, I, I I can see where you're coming from. I did, I I enjoyed watching, but again, part of that was I feel like because films have come a long way since, and there's been a lot of other time loop films that have you know fleshed the concept out a little bit more it felt like i was doing a little bit of the legwork in making this interesting and even more so for you two with all your fantastic theories <laughs> but no i i did enjoy it i just think it comes with a bit of a caveat that it's like going back and listening to the beatles it's like you can't expect it to be innovative now you got to enjoy it for what it's what it is so i'll give it a tentative yeah it was it was good yeah all right that's a really good example. Like, I love hearing other people play Beatles songs, but I listen to the Beatles and go, oh, it's a bit shit in that. Yeah. <laughs> Been done already, mate. Ev, what about you? I fucking love this. <laughs> <laughs> I had so much fun watching every second of this movie. I've forgiven Bill Murray for the sins of Scrooge, and I think whoever plays Rita, I never remember her name, is absolutely sublime. I can understand why Phil would spend every second of every day save scumming to try and bed that woman. Enjoyed every <laughs> minute she was on the screen. <laughs> And above everything else... I feel like you've missed the whole point of the movie, Evan. It was not to bed her. (laughs) Uh, I think I just, in that episode, went over every point of all of the movie from every angle. (laughs) It was the alarm clock. It's just like that song, bro. (laughs) Evan's understood this on a level that no one else ever has. (laughs) He's just trying to fuck her, right? (laughs) (laughs) And he does! And that's how he gets out. (laughs) It was her pussy all along. (laughs) (laughs) And above everything else, even Rita's pussy, it's Stephen Toblowski. Man, I love that guy. Anything I see him in, he's fantastic. He's great in Silicon Valley. I don't know if you boys have ever watched that, but it's well worth a watch. Anything with him in is so good. But in this, Ned Ryerson is so fucking iconic. So, yeah, I love this movie, boys. And I I don't mind if I have to watch it again. I might on my own. (laughs) Well, if I do go back and watch it, I'll have Carl's theory in mind that everyone's an angel. Um, Any other theories there, Sam? Maybe the a thousand I presented? <laughs> the alarm clock? <laughs> Beautiful. I'll have them all in mind. Well, thank you so much for joining me, boys, and thank you all for listening. Please do follow us over on Twitter and Instagram at So You Think Pod and leave us that sweet five star review. Next week, we will be watching Gremlins 2. I really enjoyed watching Gremlins the first time, and I know Loved it. people fucking hate Gremlins 2 because it's just the Hollywood cash grab, but that Key and Peele sketch where they're coming up with the ideas around the table is enough for me to go back to it because that sketch is perfect. So until next time, goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Bye.